Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. And again, those are my thoughts on the opening of the IndyCar season, Matt. Um, so there you go. Uh, Thank you. That was all part of our pre show. Uh, you can check it out online. It, did we record that? Um, no. Actually, no. After all that, no, I didn't. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> and it was scintillating, see, too. We, see, we have to prove to middle management, a.k.a. the suit, that we talk about IndyCar. And I was kind of hoping in the pre-show we could just get it out of the way. Because the next race they have is at Indy. And it's going to be really squirrely for these guys. You want to know why? There are going to be moments they're going to have to make right turns. That is correct. They don't have the muscle memory to do it. Oh, well. And not only that, <laughs> they do these road courses. <laughs> Once you get the lead, they nobody passes you. <laughs> Once you get the lead, you're that's it. You're at Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> When's the last time Lewis Hamilton was passed? He, he isn't even passed in the entryway into the into the uh, <laughs> into the track. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton never gets passed. He gets in the lead, wins again. I think he hasn't lost in, in eight years. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And you can always go to sunburymotors.com and check out the great line of Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, and their great pre-owned inventory. You can get the process going online at sunburymotors.com. Today, we are going to have Matthew Collier on from uh, purpleinsider.com. We're going to talk about the Dalvin Cook situation. He says, no contract, I'm not going to play. But he's because of the new CBA, he's in a very interesting spot that doesn't help him. And then we'll have Neil Kulong on the show today. If you want, we can invite the suit on for an IndyCar minute. <laughs> I can see if he's still in the building. I mean, uh, you know, great IndyCar moments. I, mean, I think an IndyCar minute would be great. And then I could introduce it for about 45, 46 seconds and give him 10 seconds because I have to wrap up four. <laughs> so you don't think there's a plan here. I always have no doubt with your plan, Steve Jones. Well, let's get to what the NCAA's plan might be when it comes to football and training camp. And I think this is a an interesting plan, and I think it's a good plan. 
Doesn't mean it's perfect, but I think it's a good plan. Heather Dinich is the one that was uh, reporting on what they did this week. So this is what they want to do. They want to see everybody working out by July 6th. And by mid to late July, required meetings and walkthroughs could start in a proposed six-week practice plan, which the NCAA has approved. Now, the next step is going to be the Oversight Committee to finalize this. They're going to do that next Wednesday. And Todd Berry, the Executive Director of the American Football Coaches Association, was on the teleconference said most of the coaches he's talked to support the plan. It does include a new two-week period for coach-supervised walkthrough and meetings. So there's been a lot of trying to find compromises to try and make it equitable as possible, but equity is very hard to find, so you're looking for more fairness than anything else. And to be honest with you, I think this sounds fair. So So what will they be allowed to do? Here's the deal. The beginning of coaching interaction would depend on the date of your opening game. So some programs, for example, will kick off the season August 29th, otherwise known as Week Zero, which moves the three phases of proposed activities, required workouts, enhanced training, and preseason camp up a week. So now let's get to the Penn State situation. Penn State would open on September 5th against Kent State and Beaver Stadium. So anybody opening up Labor Day weekend which would include Penn State, the required workouts would begin July 13th, followed by an enhanced training that begins on July 24th and normal preseason camp on August 7th. The switch from voluntary workouts, which have been staggered across the country with various starts, Penn State's in the process right now to really try and get things rolling in that direction by next Monday, the 15th. Yeah, they're going through the quarantine phase right now. Testing and quarantine. And that's what they would do. Under the proposal, remember, athletes in the summer, the vast majority are in school. It's a great opportunity for them to rack up credits where they don't have the pressure of a game sitting there. And that's what many of them do. That's why you'll find... I'm going to be interested. I'm going to have to ask Michael Mennett this and Will Fries. They're two fifth-year guys. Shaka Tony. Shaka's a fifth-year guy. Ask Shaka um, how many credits they're taking in the fall. Some some may end up getting their degrees. And John Urschel, I think, at 12. I'm just kidding. Um... So that means you still have to do the 20 hours a week. That's my point, because they're taking classes. 20 hours a week of countable athletically-related activities. That includes weight training, conditioning, film review, walkthroughs, and meetings. No helmets, no pads, but you're allowed to use a ball, which to me in football is a prerequisite to success. The... uh, so no helmets, 
no pads, but you get to use a ball. Also give coaches extra time to evaluate players' conditioning and playbook knowledge. So let's just take Penn State, for example. Let's take this, it would go, what, to July 24th? So if you go from, from June 15th to July 24th, that is 39 days. Now, you're not going to be in the weight room every day. You can't. But that's 39 days. So let's now back it up to winter conditioning. You finish the season, your bowl game, you're done. You get a little bit of everybody. They all You have to take time off. And then you can get back to working out. In fact, I, hold on a second. I, think I've got, I actually have the Cotton Bowl calendar they gave me. I actually do have that. Um, ding, 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 ding. Um, Cotton Bowl the 28th. Uh, team meeting on January 12th. Classes begin on the 13th. Uh, players and coaches both off 14-15. Then they go from there. Okay, And that's where the players can, on their own, get back into the weight room. All right, But players and coaches are, were off completely for two straight weeks. Two straight weeks. All right? And then they got, you know, you can get back in on your own to start working on your conditioning. And then at the beginning of February into the first week of March, they had winter conditioning. Now, there's not a massive gap between when you want to start working on your own. You know, it's, you know it ends up being well, two, two and a half weeks. All right. As opposed to what is now three months. I believe the last winter conditioning day was, I think, March 4th? It would have been a Wednesday, right? I think March 4th was the last day they were all together like that. I think. Right around there. So instead of the usual gap, even though it's a month gap between winter workouts and the season, you know, you still have the ability to get into a weight room and work. Now, this is going to be different. These guys are going to have 39 days, which is longer than a winter workout, but they're also coming off three months where you've had to be creative you know, putting grease in buckets, pushing cars, backpacks with rocks in them, things like that. And that's, you know, that's been what they've tried to do uh, to stay in shape. Now, some have weight sets and so forth, so they can do that. But obviously being in the facility with everything available to them is exponentially better. Uh, they're also going to work in seven-on-sevens on the various fields, you know, no more than 20 at a time out there. So now you get to July, that 39 days, you still can continue your weight training and your conditioning, but this will give them some extra time to get out there with the coaching staff, and especially if you look at Penn State's situation, I mean, Kirk Shiraka's brand new out there with you know, putting in an offense. He and James worked very hard on putting together this offense. Well, now you're, you know, yeah, you'll have a ball, but at least you'll be able to go through the, with some practical experience before you get to camp. 
you know, for John Scott, another chance to get out there and really get to know his defensive lineman. You know, Phil Trotwine, more time for him to really get to know on the field his offensive lineman. Taylor Stubblefield, trying to get a good look at various players that he only had limited time with. And plus the freshman would be part of this too because the freshman would be in school at this point. Remember, the freshman would be a part of this. So from the Penn State point of view, I think this would work well. So required workouts would begin July 13th, enhanced training July 24th. That's when this two weeks, the July 24th part's the two-week part. That's the extra two to get you the six weeks. Um, the reason the committee decided on a longer window between voluntary workouts and the start of the enhanced training on July 24th is they preferred a slower ramp-up. Okay. That was the rationale instead of just going from voluntary to 20 hours, that there was an approach to ramping up the hours from required standpoint. Eh, that makes sense. That's fine. And Bob Bowlesby, who is also a member of the College Football Playoff Management Committee, said it's too early to make any decisions on what is going to be required this year for the college football playoff or bowl eligibility. I think you can play as many games as you possibly can play, and you make an assessment halfway through the season or something like that. I think everybody's experience is going to be different. It's going to be localized. Some people will blaze right through 12 games. Others might struggle off and on because nobody knows. Nobody knows. By the way, Center County today, no new cases. It's the sixth time in the last nine days, no new cases. Only three total in the last nine days. So I don't know what the situation is in the Valley. It's usually pretty close. Yeah, we had five total today. Two Northumberland, two in Snyder, and one in Union. But again, all clean in Ward 4. Yes, they've had, they, I, it's been at least over a week. It, it may be close to two weeks that Montour hasn't had a new case See, my problem is I think at Ward 4 they cook the numbers. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so that's what they they want to do. Now, they have not discussed what they want to do with any other sport at this point, to our knowledge. doesn't mean they haven't. But the only sport on campus is football right now, even though men's basketball and women's basketball is allowed to be back. Uh, you know, allowed to be back. But that hasn't happened yet. So that is the ramp-up. And what they... what they I, I, I think there's a lot of logic to this plan. Now, look, Dennis Dodd was on the show. Dennis and I were talking, and he says, oh, Steve, he said, you know darn well, you're going to have people exceed the 20 hours. And look, we know people do that. We know that. I can tell you who doesn't do it because I'm there. James doesn't do it. James adheres to the number. To the number. I'm also curious, Steve, about social distancing because the NFL just released their guidelines yesterday and 
all the all the teams have a lot to do to try and basically rework the facilities to make sure there's six feet in between lockers and things like that. I can't imagine college football is going to be able to do that because you have a ton more athletes, especially during the summer. Well, um, well first of all, yeah, you don't have your full roster in there. Oh, at the present time, right, yeah. Right, so right now you have 75. When you get to training camp, you're allowed 105. You're not allowed to expand past 105 until you get to the uh, first day of classes at your university. Once the first day of classes goes by, you can then expand beyond that. Penn State had, at one point, 123 players, but two walk-ons. I think it's Denver Light and C.J. Holmes have both put their names into the transfer portal. And remember, C.J. Holmes was a walk-on, not a scholarship player. So it's probably down to, what, 120 now players for Penn State because Damian Barber went into the transfer portal as well. And we already knew about that a week ago or 10 days ago, whatever it was. All right, great to have you with us. We're going to talk about, believe it or not, the Vikings and not the ones that came over on a ship. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And you go to sunburymotors.com to check out the great lines of Fords, Lincolns, Kias, Hyundais, and incredible pre-owned inventory. All at sunburymotors.com. In fact, you can do the process from the comfort of your own living room. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Next half hour, Neil Kulong. But now it's Dalvin Cook has said, look, um, no new contract. I'm not going to I'm not going to play. It's something we've heard before from many who have made that demand before. And uh, he's made that demand. So with that, Matthew Collier joins us from InsidePurple.com. Matthew, hope you and yours are safe and sound and doing well. Yeah, no, doing okay. I mean, it's certainly been weird times. As I was listening to you guys talk about that, I was like, remember sports? Remember when yeah. we used to have all these things going on? That was fun. Yeah. Do that again. It, it was fun. Yes, it was. I remember what it was. Maybe we could have some more fun before the year's out. Uh, the Dalvin Cook situation, He, like most players that get to this spot, they want money. If they don't, they're going to hold out. What kind of strength does he have in his negotiating position with Rick Spielman? Uh, very little. It is not a great situation to be in. The only thing that Delvin Cook has working for him is that the Minnesota Vikings love Delvin Cook. And uh, not just as a player, which we know he's one of the five or six best running backs in the entire NFL, but also as a person. He's a guy they got in the second round because of red flags and character issues. Well, since he's been in Minnesota, <laughs> it's been the exact opposite. It's been a guy who's been... Uh, you know, in the community and, and a part of their team efforts and things like that. He's been a great teammate. He's become yeah. one of those quiet leaders and the center of their offense. 
However, there are a lot of very good running backs in the world, and one of them is Delvin Cook's backup, Alexander Madison. And so if they were to go into the season without Cook, you know, they would not feel as good about it. But you also don't feel like for any reason that you're, you still can't make the playoffs or win the division or anything else, even if you don't have Delvin Cook. And that's just the, the running back world that we live in, is that a lot of them can be replaced by somebody else. And a lot of them are a product of the system, and there's always somebody else behind you you look at other running backs who have tried to hold out and things like that Le'Veon Bell well James Conner just came in and was also good for Pittsburgh or yeah. you know Melvin Gordon does that in Los Angeles and then Austin Eckler is all of a sudden everyone's fantasy running back so you know I think that um, Delvin Cook is taking a big risk here and especially with if you get to training camp there's something in the new collective bargaining agreement that if you hold out uh, Delvin Cook would not accrue a season which would make him then an RFA after next right. year restricted free agent and, and that really kills any chance you've got. Plus, if you hold out now in the new CBA, you actually have to pay the fines back. Before, the teams would just waive the fines. Now you actually have to pay them. So I don't think that he wants this to go into training camp. No, he probably doesn't, although I don't think people realize how young he is because when Jack Ham and I were doing the uh, Penn State-Minnesota game on the other side of the river, uh, I mentioned Rodney Smith, who was a sixth-year player because of injuries. I said, Rodney Smith, the starting running back for the University of Minnesota, is actually o- older than Dalvin Cook. I mean, so I don't think people realize that, how young Dalvin Cook actually is. No, that's a great point, too, because when we talk about these running back contracts, you know, a lot of times you look at them and you say, wow, this one blew up and that one blew up and everything else. And we talk about the running back age curve. By the time they get to 28, 29 years old, they're usually dusted. And with Delvin Cook, I mean, if he signs a three- or four-year contract here, or let's say it's a five-year deal, but they can get out of it after three, I mean, that's taking him right through those prime years. So even though he's had some injury history here, uh, you've got an ACL tear, just kind of bad luck. Last year, uh, a big guy from the Denver Broncos fell on him and hurt his shoulder. Again, kind of bad luck. So even though there are reasonable concerns, I look at his talent as if he's probably going to continue to be very, very good. And if he's healthy, he is one of the best running backs in the league. And, And that's where, for both sides, you need to find middle ground because there's really no downplaying his talent. And I also don't think you're looking at someone like Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley had just an incredible amount of usage for his first few years. I I looked this number up, but I think Delvin Cook only has something like 40% of the carries that Todd Gurley had at the same point in their careers. So to me, a deal makes sense. Like even though the Vikings have a little more leverage here, they also know that they're kind of a run first offense. Everything starts with Delvin Cook and that last year he averaged about nine yards a catch. I mean, that's kind of unusual yeah. for a running back. If you yeah. can help Kirk Cousins that much with little checkdowns that turn into 25-yard gains, I mean, that, that, that's a big, big advantage for them. So I think that ultimately both sides figure it out. That was going to be actually my next train of uh, question, and that was going to be about the receiving part of it. It's obvious Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey are probably the top two running backs in this league and the ability to catch the ball, run legitimate routes, uh Elliott's a good pass receiver out of the backfield, but he's a circle out of the backfield guy. Eckler's kind of a circle out of a backfield guy. What's Dalvin Cook? Is he is he good enough to be in this passing game on a consistent basis? 
Yeah, I, I would go with your circle out of the backfield description and you know screen passes and things like that for okay. the most part. But the, there's also a feeling, though, and I would agree with this, that his role could even expand. I mean, you know, you, you trade away Stephon Diggs, and of course they – draft Justin Jefferson, but that's a rookie, you know, the fourth receiver off the board. Who knows whether he's going to be great or not. And so I have seen them a couple of times line up Delvin Cook as a wide receiver. And there was a game against Green Bay where he ran a slant route against the linebacker. It just smoked him and ends up with a 25-yard gain. And there are other times where they've lined him up in the slot and, and thrown him the ball, and it's been effective. And I wonder if they would do that more, especially if they're paying him a lot more money, right. that they would want to get him more involved. But I think what, where his biggest impact is is that he could play every situation. He's a good pass protector if you need that from him. If you need him to run a check down and turn a, a three-yard pass through the air into a 20-yard pass, there are a few guys that are better. Or you can design screens around him. So there were several times last year where entire drives were either check downs to Delvin Cook or handoffs right. to Delvin Cook, and they ended up scoring touchdowns. I mean, that's that's pretty rare. You don't see too many guys who can handle entire drives by themselves from that position. Uh, how much is Cook influenced by what Zeke Elliott was able to do with Dallas in all this? I mean, if I could I could throw out Melvin Gordon because Melvin Gordon tried this, and Melvin Gordon, as you mentioned earlier, was bye-bye, and he's with Denver now, and Austin Eckler turned out to be a guy that a lot of people liked a lot, including the Anthony Lynn and the Chargers coaching staff. So how much is he influenced by what Elliott got? Yeah, and Austin Eckler, I think, was very smart to just sign the deal, take life-changing money, and not try to hold out and play hardball, which usually I'm all for players getting as much money as they can. It's a violent, dangerous game, and you're only young once. But when it comes to this running back position, how many guys have legitimate leverage over their teams the way that Ezekiel Elliott and Christian McCaffrey did? You can't say that for many people. And the things that McCaffrey and, and Elliott have, Uh, is durability for one. I mean, they've played almost every game during their careers. And someone like McCaffrey, that guy is a wide receiver slash running back. He falls into the category much more of like a playmaker who can line up anywhere and do anything. That's not Delvin Cook. Delvin Cook is more of your your Zeke Elliott. But Zeke Elliott had, what, four seasons of just pure excellence Uh where you can't say that for Delvin Cook, where we're still talking about, hey, if Delvin is healthy for a whole season, you know, he could be in the MVP race. But that that hasn't happened yet. So, you know, I think he is in his side are influenced by those huge contracts and saying, Hey, look, our guy is every bit as talented, which may be true, but you also don't have the production to back that up. So I think that that's where the separation is here is that his side says, Hey, look at how good our player is. And the Vikings say, right, but look at the risk that we're taking and we don't want to spend yeah. insane money on a running back like they once did with Adrian Peterson and it worked out fine, but right. I mean, again, that was a guy who had been healthy before his huge contract and had set records and everything like mm-hmm. that. Uh, Delvin Cook, there's still a little bit of that potential type of feeling to him. Which then uh, brings me to this. Uh, Mike Zimmer evidently loves Delvin Cook um, and so do his teammates. Rick Spielman can love him all he wants, uh, but he has a salary structure to deal with. Do the Vikings actually have the cap space and the salary structure to do something for him? They do, yes. Uh, They left a little bit of cap space for right now, so they have about $12 million before signing 
their rookie class. So that'll take it down to, you know, a handful of dollars that are left. But what they can do is they can set up his contract up very similar to David Johnson, who makes $13 million a year but will never have a cap hit of $13 million. Right. Kind of funny how the NFL works that way. But right. um, they can manipulate the cap in a lot of different ways. So they could move Delvin Cook's salary cap hit this year up um, to put them right at the cap, and then in future years have it not be crazy high. And if you look just one year in the future here, now with uh, COVID-19, it's very hard to say if the salary cap and you know whatever will, will move differently than what we expect. Right. But if it stays largely the same or goes up, they have lots of players who can come off the books. Uh, their left tackle, Riley Reef, is set to make something like $15 million next year. There's no way he plays on that contract. Kyle Rudolph is up there in years. He's set to make huge money. Uh, Anthony Barr has been good but not great on his contract. They could move on from him if they want. I mean, so they've got all sorts of opportunities. And plus, you know, they trade away Stephon Diggs. Not great necessarily for your offense to trade away a player that good, but very good for your salary cap situation next year. That saves them, you know, something in the range of 12 to $15 million on the cap for next season. They are going to have the space. They've got lots of guys who are young on rookie deals in, in key positions. Uh, the, you know, they drafted a left tackle. They drafted a starting corner. There are two expensive corners left in free agency. So you know, they can absolutely make this work. It's just can they get Delvin's side to be reasonable with the amount of dollars he wants and bring his expectations down from Christian McCaffrey to maybe in that Austin Eckler or David Johnson range, which is probably where he belongs. This is uh, this will be a, a true uh, uh, different tangent for a moment, but I do have to ask about J.D. Spielman, Rick's son. Uh, he decided to transfer from Nebraska. A lot of people are saying he may end up at uh, the U of M across across the river. <laughs> Have you heard anything about Rick's Rick's son? He was a good player. Yeah, I uh, no, I haven't. Except for I was thinking, uh, college free agency is wild. Like, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> know, now all of a sudden, you know, I've always loved NFL free agency, but you know, now you have these great players changing colleges all the time. I, I have not really heard exactly what the reasons are for him not wanting to be in Nebraska. But I mean, if if you're Minnesota and you land him with where this program has been going uh, under PJ Fleck, and, and you think about just the receivers that they've already been able to develop. Tyler Johnson's in the NFL. Bateman is going to be, I think, a, a first-round draft pick. Um, you know, I, I think he would still uh, – Spielman would have to sit out a year still. But yeah. that would kind of carry over that continuity if they could land him to just having these great receivers and these very good P.J. Fleck offenses. It, it still feels weird to be talking about Minnesota having this great explosive offense. But, you know, that's what P.J. Fleck – has brought, and I think that would be very attractive to someone like Spielman. Well, Kirk Chirac is here now. And that is Matthew uh, Collier with InsidePurple.com. And we'll come back with more in a moment, brought to you by Sunbury Motors here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Well, the Iowa football story has a local uh, element to it. Darrell Johnson Kulianos is the wide receiver coach at Bloomsburg. In fact, he is the all-time leading receiver in the history of Iowa football. 
and he currently is the receivers coach at Bloomsburg just up the road. He wrote a long and scathing statement alleging poor treatment by Chris Doyle and head football coach Kirk Ferentz. Johnson Koulianos wrote about Doyle. He is nothing short of a punitive, sadistic man. And the repeated verbal taunts and what he considered excessive physical punishment. As for Kirk Ferentz, he called him a control freak with a vindictive streak. I remember, with all due respect to everybody, just so everyone knows, Darrell Johnson Koulianos, his tenure at Iowa didn't end the way he wanted to. He ended up being kicked off the team his senior year. There were five drug-related charges. Four of them were dismissed. Four of them were dismissed. He pleaded guilty to a marijuana possession charge. Um, but I think the people at Bloomsburg will tell you he's doing a great job in their program. So Johnson Koulianos asked near the end of his statement, so is this racism? Is this strict old-school coaching? I cannot honestly say. However, going through this as a young black male, I can genuinely say that whether it was their intent or not, I believe that race was a large part of it. I was just another black athlete, and I wasn't going to be bigger than their program. I'm a coach today because I want to use my life's experience to make a difference to develop young men the right way. In my wildest dreams, I could not treat or humiliate any of my players in this or any way, no matter their race, color, or creed. My hope is that these events will bring attention to injustices like these and will prevent things like this from happening to future Hawkeyes and student-athletes everywhere. So you look at the Iowa story, and there's the local side, side to it. Because Johnson Koulianos, uh, Koulianos, who by the way is a heck of a receiver, is now at Bloomsburg as their wide receiver coach. But that's just part of, you know, like I said, it was a long statement that he put out about this. And many former Iowa football players have been emboldened to step forward and talk about what's going on. Now, Doyle is currently on administrative leave. Cedric Boswell said that Brian Ferentz, Kirk's son, labeled a new tattoo representing his hometown of Detroit, quote, the stupidest thing I've ever seen. What's the point of that? It's not coaching. The program's Twitter ban was loosened this month to allow for one pre-approved tweet from players. Last year, the program eased restrictions on hats, earrings, and hoodies in the building. Not long after word of the single self-approved tweet policy surfaced, Iowa magically changed its policy again to let players say what they want on social media. 